I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. Mack Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, and more that you will ever wear. They have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial. Thank you to all the science nerds and teachers that wrote in telling me how to pronounce that. It means... Bacteria don't grow on them as much and you don't get as stinky, which means you don't have to do laundry as often, which means you don't have to argue about who does laundry, which is one of the things that leads to a happy household. They want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and they will still refund you. No questions asked. And not only does Mack Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well too. You can wear them for working out, uh, dates, uh, hanging around the house, uh, work too, just everyday life. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using the promo code FRIENDS. Again, that's MacWeldon.com, 20% off using the promo code FRIENDS. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These, a show about relationships and politics and politics and relationships, what unites us and what divides us. Mostly, I think, what unites us this show. Uh, especially the second part of the show where we tackle, we meaning me and my colleague from MTV, Jane Koston, uh, we tackle a listener question about dealing with race and relationships. And that was the most fun I've had doing the show in a while. No offense to everyone else that's been on the show. But uh, first up is Greg Doucette, who you might recognize from Twitter. He's a got some great Twitter rants, and that's actually how I got to know him. He's a criminal justice attorney in Durham, North Carolina, and I was curious about how he wound up where he is on the political spectrum. It's uh, been a journey, so he's up first. So let's just dive right in, Greg Doucette. So I know you, if anyone listening knows you, they probably know you from Twitter because you have become a... uh, presence, especially around conversations around criminal justice reform. Um, You came to my attention, you know, I think last year um, with a personal story that you told about representing. Maybe I should let you tell the story real quick. Well, I guess the question is going to be which one, because this ended up being uh, several (laughs) of them. We're talking about the kid doing donuts. Yeah, we're talking about the kid doing donuts. The donuts, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so back in... Gosh, at this point, it would have been 2015, December a couple of years ago. 
um, a mother and her son came to my office because he had been charged with reckless driving, which in North Carolina is it, it's pretty serious. It's a class two misdemeanor. Theoretically, you could go to jail. Um, and usually when people come to me with stuff like that, you know, handling it is fairly straightforward. I get the information. You tell me what happens. Most of the time, folks have actually done whatever it is they're accused of. Then my job is to go try and convince the DA not to bring the full weight of the government down on you for it. Mm-hmm. Well, in this case, the mom was a bit more animated, I guess, than the typical parent. Um, her son had been driving the family car. It was a Sunday morning. It had just rained not too long earlier. Uh, they were getting ready to go to church in the morning. And as he was driving back, a cat came out into the roadway. He slammed on the brakes, and the car spun out 45 degrees. And a few hours after that, you know, son comes home, no big deal. A few hours later, officer shows up on the doorstep and claims that a neighbor saw the young man doing donuts in the roadway. Mm -hmm. The neighbor claimed that the car almost hit and killed the neighbor's wife and that the young man was very lucky that the officer didn't arrest him right there on the spot and take him downtown because what he did was a crime. Okay, there's an important there's an important detail here, I think, um, which is what what color did this young man happen to be? Oh, he was an African-American. He was definitely a young black male, 17 years old in high school. Uh, the officer was white, had a disciplinary history of his own. We later found out. Um, so there's already a a cultural dynamic at play there that a lot of people talk about and that anyone that does criminal defense work for more than, you know, a couple of weeks will see it on a regular basis. So the son saying, Hey, you know, it was a cat, go talk to this neighbor's daughter. She saw the cat run out of the house. And the officer essentially said that he's not going to take the word of two kids over an adult. So as soon as the officer left, the mother went to the area in the street where the car had spun out and started taking pictures, which is exceptionally unusual for a criminal defense attorney to have a parent with like documentary evidence, you know, soon after the alleged crime has taken place. And when she showed those pictures to me, you see skid marks in the street, but there's no donuts at all. I mean, there's one set of skid marks. It's consistent with the car going 25 miles an hour and slamming on the brakes. Mm -hmm. So didn't think anything of it, went to court, ended up getting a copy of the court files called a shuck. And in those, the officer gets to write his comments. And as part of his comments, he wrote down that, talked to the neighbor. Neighbor said the guy was doing donuts, nearly hit his wife. Driver said he was trying to dodge a cat, uh, did an investigation, and skid marks in the roadway showed a clear 360-degree spin. And, you know, I don't know how many folks among your listeners are math people, but 360 (laughs) degrees happens to be a circle. And I thought that was kind of weird given the pictures, but we didn't handle anything right then. So this was in January. I continued the case out to February and decided to go to that particular neighborhood myself. So we got a tape measure to measure the width of the roadway, ended up looking up on, uh, I think it was Kelly Blue Book, the dimensions of the car, where the tires were placed and everything else. And come to find out that in this particular neighborhood and this particular location, the roadway is not even physically wide enough to do donuts. Mm. You know, you might be able to do one circle if both your front and your tires are spinning out at the same time. But had he been doing multiple donuts on purpose, he would have gone up on someone's yard, knocked over a mailbox or whatever else. So we came back to court in February, showed the DA the pictures, 
talked about the width of the roadway, the length of the car, and the DA agreed to dismiss the case. No big deal. Ended up leaving, excited that I got a dismissal, and it really didn't click for me that this officer had put into his report this 360-degree reference, something that could not physically have happened, something that the evidence showed did not happen. It didn't dawn on me that that was in there, that he had actually lied in what he had put in his report until after I had left the courthouse and was on my way to lunch. So as I'm getting ready to walk into a Bojangles for lunch, I started tweeting about it. It's like, hey, I want to go ahead and talk about some of this BS that goes on in the court system. Because if I didn't have that evidence, if I didn't have those pictures, didn't have the, the width of that particular roadway being what it was, I wouldn't have had a defense. I would have just had to try and convince the DA to go easy on the kid. But at this point, you know, we've got evidence here that flatly contradicts what the officer had put into his report. So ended up, it was not an unusual circumstance for me to complain about the court system. I've been doing it, you know, for years. This particular story, I guess, ended up connecting with a lot of people, started getting retweeted all over the place. And by the time I finished eating my Bojangles chicken strips, about 30 minutes later, uh, my phone was blowing up. I mean, it got to the point where for two, three days, I couldn't actually use my phone because the Twitter app notifications <laughs> kept coming in. You know, just a helpful hint. Like, I don't mean to be like all service desk on you, but like you can't turn notifications off. So just just tip for future future viral tweets. Um, well, you're being... Uh, I perhaps modest, I don't know. Um but uh <laughs> or or you're you're just you want me to to draw this out of you but you know I have an idea about why that went viral which is that um on the one hand it's just sort of a, it's kind of like a an interesting story, right? It has like a good narrative to it about sort of an injustice that you caught. Um but the way you framed it was was sort of more along the lines of what you said at the end of uh, your story just now, which is that this is what happens in our court systems. And you right. you used well, it as an example to talk about, like, you know, people ask me if I hate cops. And here's my story and it about why I think that we have a problem with cops. And the, and the other reason why I think people's paid attention to it is something we have not mentioned yet. But definitely one reason you're on the show, <laughs> which is that you're a conservative person, supposedly. Yes, I am. I was actually a Republican at the time. Yeah. Um, and so you did this. You did this yeah. tweet. You did this tweet storm that that could have come out of the mouth of DeRay. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's there are two pieces to it. I mean, one, a lot of attention gets paid to police brutality in large part because of the video evidence that we see lately, you know, the exorbitant numbers of people of color killed by police, you know, we average roughly 3.5 deaths every single day, like clockwork for years now. But you got kind of a, a a lesser form of brutality, if you will, something where it's it's much more pervasive, but happens with minor cases where something as simple as trying to be a good human and not run over a cat gets you brought into the court system, you know, and has an officer who knows that his testimony is going to be treated as gospel, you know, is able to misrepresent what actually happened and essentially get away with it. Mm -hmm. You know, that was a, that was a piece of the puzzle that I thought about, but it never really clicked. Like, thank God that we had the pictures 
in the roadway because if we didn't, we'd be stuck. You know, and for me, my my political philosophy, I mean, I've been a Republican since before I could vote. You know, I was raised in a military family, strong believer in American exceptionalism. And if you look at a lot of conservative beliefs, whether it's talking about Lincoln ending slavery or being opposed to abortion or whatever else, all of that stuff is rooted in the idea that we're supposed to all be equal before God and before government. Whether it plays out that way in practice, you know, is one thing, but that's part of the philosophy. Why do we care about whether or not kids are aborted if once they're alive, we're going to treat a certain pigmentation of them as second-class citizens? You know, there's a certain core unstated premise that we're all created in God's image, we're all equal, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so that really rubbed me the wrong way as a conservative, that we're now treating people differently. Well, now the government people doing differently. It. We've been doing it for and a while. And we're okay with that. Well, yeah. I mean, it, well, it started to bother you as a conservative. And maybe, maybe let's let's start there, because quite frankly, like I look at I look a little into your history and um, you've had an interesting personal journey, it seems like. Um, like you said, I, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're that, you, that's one way of putting it. Yeah. You, you were once homeless um, while you were in college. Uh, you went to historically black university for law school. Um, and you have wound up being a criminal defense attorney. And uh, the URL on your Twitter bio page is DurhamWeedLawyer.com. <laughs> right. That was, that was actually a gift from a client. Okay. Believe it or not. That's a, I'm going to, what, what possibly could you have been defending that client for? I don't, um, <laughs> I'm, I could, I'm, I'm. I wonder. Um, so you you have an unusual personal history, but so and you've wound up in this place where I I hear you making the conservative argument for why you care about criminal justice and criminal and, and police brutality, but you've wound up in a place where you do sound like you could be leading a Black Lives Matter rally a lot of the time. I'm, I'm not you. Well, I, you know, you do like it, it, you. Yeah, it's, it's a fair it's a fair comment. I mean, I had a um, we have a local paper here called the Independent Weekly um, that ran a profile on different candidates for office. And they did a story on me. And the, the story, the title of the story was um, T. Greg Doucette's views are indistinguishable from that of a Black Lives Matter protester. You know, mm-hmm. it it's true. But I think that's less a matter of left versus right, as it is a matter of our criminal justice system is a mess. Mm-hmm. It's a damn mess. And it's a bipartisan mess. It's something that both Republicans and Democrats have used as a way of trying to raise revenue for the government without raising taxes, as a way of trying to show voters that they're tough on crime. You know, And because of that, it's now an absurd system. You know, you look at North Carolina, we're the only state in the entire country, all 50 states plus D.C. and the territories. We are the only state that prosecutes all 16-year-olds as adults. Doesn't matter what the offense is. If you are a 16-year-old junior in high school, you have a phone out, the teacher tells you to put it away, and you don't, you get an adult criminal charge for disorderly conduct. You end up in the adult court system. You are sitting in the pews of the courtroom alongside people charged with, you know, larceny or murder or whatever else. That's how our system operates. If you have a single joint 
you get charged with possession of weed, something that is legal in several other states. Mm-hmm. We're going to charge you $180 in court costs for it. We're going to make you pay $250 to a drug treatment program. We're going to put you on probation for at least 12 months. You're now going to have a criminal record. And if you want that record expunged, we're going to charge you another $175 to have the expungement done and make you wait a year for that. And God forbid you're a teenager caught with weed because the sheer length of time it takes to go through and manage the consequences of all that, those are prime years where you're trying to apply to college, trying to get scholarships, trying to find a job. And you can have your entire life derailed over something that, you know, if you were in Colorado, as long as you paid your taxes, you'd be a successful businessman. Hmm. You know, it's just something that there's nothing conservative about our justice system. There's not. I'd argue there's nothing liberal about it either. It's just a, a mishmash of mess that the politicians have exploited for their own benefit. And it sucks. So was there not really, if you sort of just always been sort of libertarian and, and uh, aware of these issues around criminal justice and race, or or can you describe any turning point for yourself? Because um, I think, you know, we're, we're at a point and we're at a point in in our American, you know, political history where people are really curious about how minds get changed, right? And mm-hmm. as someone who presents this particular mixture of views, I think for a lot of people, including myself, like proud progressive, like I look at you and I think, how can I make other people like that, right? Like how can I, <laughs> how, can I how can I make people who are conservative, you know, how can I make them come to the place where Greg has gotten? Right. Well, it it kind of depends on the issue, you know, because when when I was growing up, what we call libertarianism today was called conservative where I was at. You know, I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia. It was a military and tourist town. And with the exception of national defense, you know, everyone was pro-America, pro-military and all that. You know, the rest of it was people are flawed and you have to have people running the government. So it makes sense that you want to have fewer flawed people running fewer areas of your lives. Just leave us alone as best you can. You know, today that would be called a libertarian position. But back then, that's what the Republican Party represented, you know. So on a lot of stuff, things like, you know, the size and scope of what the federal government does. Yeah, I've pretty much always been very libertarian oriented. But on a lot of stuff relating to, you know, civil rights. Stuff relating to LGBT rights, you know, stuff like that. It's not something that I noticed was a problem until later on in life. You know, I grew up in a very diverse neighborhood and a lot of my friends were African American and it was never something that got talked about. You know, we talked a lot about wealth disparities. You know, everyone would crack jokes about the rich kids that we knew in our class, mm-hmm. but there was never a discussion of, I'm not going to call the police because when an officer shows up, He'll let you go, but I could theoretically get shot dead. You know, my friends never had that type of conversation with me. It just never came up. So when I got to college, you know, a lot of my political focus on the the equities of our system focused on money. You know, I grew up in a poor family. I dropped out of college. I spent time being homeless. I had that experience firsthand. So I knew that what other people would tell me about it was true because I'd experienced that, seen it. But when it came to topics like, you know, racial profiling of drivers, mm-hmm. driving while black, you know, it was something where I'm like, oh, no way. There's absolutely no way that could happen. You know, surely if that was a thing, 
someone would have found proof <laughs> of it and the government would have worked to fix it and blah, blah, blah. So despite the fact you that know, you were a libertarian and believed in small government because of the fact that people were flawed, you did have what I consider, you know, sort of the conservative or Republican impulse to trust authority in some way. Like, that's yeah, kind of trusting that people are going to stick with, you know, what we would call uh, American ideals or values. The right. notion in the 14th Amendment that we're all equal before the law. Right. You know, I kind of assumed that if there was an indication that that wasn't the case, that politicians, people who we choose to lead us would lead us and actually fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I got it later on into college and kind of realized, OK, it's been multiple years now since, like, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air had a had that one episode on police profiling. <laughs> We're now like ten years later, and I'm still hearing the same thing. Maybe there's something to it. And then what really kind of opened my eyes very widely is that we have a nonprofit organization here called the Southern Coalition for Social Justice. That normally, you know, I would decry as this flaming progressive liberal bastion of of kookiness. Mm-hmm. Literally but social justice the, warriors, basically. They are literally, that, yeah, they are literally yeah, exactly. social justice warriors. But one of the projects they did was called, at the time, the website now is opendatapolicing.com. And all they do is take the traffic stop data that we have in North Carolina, uses a standard form. They took all of that information from a 10-year time span. They tossed it into a database that you could search. That was it. You could pick a particular county, you could pick a particular uh, police department, you could partic- uh, pick a particular badge number, and you could see all of the stops from that particular group. You could see the breakdown of the gender of the driver, the race of the driver, whether or not there was a search that took place, whether or not that search found any contraband. And you know, my degree was in computer science, so having data was something that was very intriguing to me. Like This is 10 years' worth of uniformly collected data. This is a tremendous sample size. And what you found when you dug into it was, oh my God, not only are police deliberately targeting minorities, but they're doing it a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and they've been doing it for years and it's not going away. There was actually a study here in Durham, North Carolina, a couple of years ago, where when all this data was coming out, it was being covered in the press, the city council wanted to see if the Durham police were doing the same thing. And part of that study found that yes, they were. If you happened to be driving during the day when an officer could see your race, they were more likely to pull over someone who was black. But if it was at night when they couldn't see you, that racial disparity went away. They called it the veil of darkness. Mm. You know, it's too dark to see who's driving, so we're only going to pull over people who are actually breaking the law. Whereas during the day, they pull you over, come up with a pretext for it later. You know, it was astonishing information. And once I saw that, and realized, okay, you know, not only is there something to this, but there's actually a boatload of evidence about it. And I started paying more attention to it as I went. You know, it's one of those things where it's like you hear the the joke, you know, what's been seen can't be unseen. You know, mm-hmm. that's what it is. Once you notice it and realize that it's there, you notice it in more and more things, and it's difficult for you to not pay attention to it. You know, so that um. Uh, you know, that type of stuff that changed my mindset on it, you know, something that I didn't think was a problem when I was a cocky freshman in college. Now, as, a, as an attorney who's been doing this for years, realize that not only it's a problem, but it's a serious problem. And it's happening all over the place. I've been talking to Greg Doucette. We're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors. Um, remember, 
our Kickstarter is capitalism here at Crooked Media. So uh, support our sponsors so we can come back with more for you. You're listening to With Friends Like These with Anna Marie Cox. Night after night, two people lay in the same bed. But when it comes time to buy a new mattress, only one gets their way. It's sort of like Americans' uh, sleep version of the Electoral College. But Helix is changing that. Helix Sleep. You can buy a mattress online and it's customized for both of you for hundreds of dollars instead of thousands. Go to helixsleep.com, answer a few simple questions based on four key preferences, and the result will be a custom sleep profile used to build you the most comfortable mattress you'll ever sleep on, the most comfortable mattress you'll both ever sleep on. It's not the Electoral College. It's proportional representation, and each of you get 50-50. Your mattress will arrive at your door in about a week, and shipping is completely free. And for couples, Helix customizes each side of the mattress, as I said, personalized to suit each of your bodies and the way you both sleep. Helix customers report a 30% improvement in overall sleep quality. You have 100 nights to try it out. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. No questions asked. And yes, I am now thinking about the presidency again. But that is why everyone from GQ Magazine to Forbes are all talking about Helix Sleep. Go to helixsleep.com Anna and get $50 off your order. That's helixsleep.com slash Anna, which is spelled A-N-A, and get $50 off your order. Helixsleep.com slash Anna. Get rid of the electoral college or the bedroom. So Greg, I, I think I now understand what might be my the error in my thinking uh, when I assumed I could use your story to perhaps create other conservatives who are, you know, woke. Let's, let's say it, woke, you're a woke <laughs> conservative. Um, I think what I thought is that I would hear something that I could use um, in arguments, other in debates, but you were swayed by facts. And I'm not sure if those are helpful these days. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> not in the Trump era, at least. Yeah. Um, and, and let's talk a little bit about that. So I have sort of two, two sets of questions there. One is... Um, one is so you still consider yourself a conservative, no longer a Republican, in part because of Trump, right? Yes. And, and is there was a specific decision on your part, like I no longer can associate myself with a party that this party, or what? Why did you decide to go ahead and make that move? Because there, there, I've had conversations with several people, like Anna Navarro, for instance, who said I need to stay with the party because it needs to be saved. There's something worth saving there. Um, but right. but you're now registered independent, I assume. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's it's difficult to to explain because it's not a feeling I'd ever really had before. You know, I uh, I created the teenage Republican group at my high school with mm-hmm. my girlfriend at the time. She had an idea that we were going to create one. I was like, oh, that's terrific. I love Ronald Reagan. Let's create the teenage Republican. <laughs> um, you know, and I was a. a Registered Republican ever since I could vote. I was the vice chairman for the Wake County Republican Party in North Carolina. I was a candidate for the state Senate as a Republican. You know, it's something that I don't see myself as a Democrat politically at all, Mm -hmm. you know, but at the same time, there was stuff in the party that made me terribly uncomfortable. You know, the fact that I walk into a party function and for every hundred white people, there's maybe one person of color struck me as a little odd, you know, and then 
as time got on, that just got worse. You know, it was something where back in 2002, when I was active as, as the vice chairman for the Wake County GOP, you'd have maybe 20 or 30 people of color at a given uh, event. Fast forward 10 years, that's dwindled to like five to 10. Fast forward to election 2016, and I could go to multiple events before I happened to see one, mm-hmm. you know? And when you talk to people about it who are active in the party, there's absolutely no self-awareness. It's not, oh, okay, yeah, maybe someone is saying things that someone might reasonably take as being racist. It's, oh, it's just because black people have a plantation mentality and Hispanics just want citizenship and blah, 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 blah. And it stuff just doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense based on actually interacting with people who aren't like me. You know, I would go to classrooms and talk with high school kids about the court system. And one of the questions that kids would ask would be, you know, do you think Donald Trump is going to move to have us deported? You know, or I'd have someone who was a Muslim student scared that she was going to be a target of police because she's wearing a hijab, you know, and that stuff that I had you made those comments to me 10 years ago. I'd be like, no, that's silly. You know, there's nothing conservative about using the forceful power of the government to target particular people. That's ridiculous. And now, you know, we had Donald Trump in the primary who's openly advocating for this type of stuff. And there's a big chunk of the party that was like, yeah, right on. Go for it. You know, I held out hope for the longest time that he was going to get beat because the fact is for most of those first few months of primaries, he wasn't getting more than 29, 30, 31% of the, of the Republican vote. But as more and more people dropped out, they got what they needed to get their book deal or whatever else. We're never serious about running for president. You know, Trump ended up getting enough delegates where he became the nominee. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this dude is, is not what anyone would reasonably consider a conservative. He has no principles that any of us can really detect. He's just running on a campaign of being an asshole, you know, for lack of a better word. Sorry, you could bleep that out. Maybe. No, it's okay. We, we encourage cursing. <laughs> He's a fucking asshole. Well, we can say that. I not do it too much because once I start, I don't really stop. But <laughs> and also imagine in where... courts, it's probably not a good idea either. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's just he campaigned on being a jerk mm-hmm. and people thought that was terrific. You know, the whole notion of make America great again, you know, from my standpoint, America was always great. You know, yeah, we had problems. We try to fix them as best we can. That was the idea of what I grew up with. You know, in Virginia Beach, that was the talk. Everyone complained about the government growing up. That was just a standard thing. You know, I would have friends of mine on the basketball court. Their dads were in the Navy. My stepdad was in the Navy. And we would all complain about the Navy and how stupid the military was, you know, crack jokes about hurry up and wait. And they did so much bureaucracy to go through and whatever else. That was just a normal part of life. But we tried to improve, you know, Thomas mm-hmm. Jefferson's infinite perfectibility of man, you know, was something that actually got taught in high school. And that was not the Trump campaign. Mm. You know, it's still not. I mean, we're now four months into this disaster of a presidency and he's not shown any signs of being an adult. You know, I think he's an imbecile and I think he's a very vocal imbecile who's great at, you know, being a con man, but that's now the head of the Republican party. There's now an entire party apparatus from the vice president to the speaker of the house to all kinds of state parties who think Donald Trump is just the bee's knees and we all need to, uh, to rally behind him. And I realized that was utterly, utterly insane. You know, 
when he got the nomination, so I had uh, I had run for the state Senate here in North Carolina that same election cycle. We had filing in December before Donald Trump was even a serious possibility of being president. When he got the nomination in April, I kind of realized that it was the end of the line for me and staying in the party. You know, I held out hope that he would eventually be rejected by the American public and maybe the GOP would look inward and try and fix itself. But for everyone to be so gung-ho about him for the entire campaign season, you know, it hit May or June, and I really stopped. You know, I still campaigned for my race, but it was less about, okay, let me go ahead and give you this carefully poll-tested answer to a question in the hopes that maybe I'll win. And it became more of the party is diseased. Let me tell you what I really think. And if y'all vote for me, great. But if not, it's not going to hurt my heart. Um, and I made a commitment. I actually announced it on Twitter. I said, look, if Donald Trump wins the election, I will change my registration the very next day. And that's what I did. He won on that Tuesday, Wednesday morning. I sent my voter registration card to the state. Mm-hmm. You know, and I look, I respect Ann Navarro and everyone else about staying within the party to fix it. But that's what I thought for most of the time I was in it. The party had problems, but I would fix it. I was in the party for close to 16, 17 years. When you have someone like Donald Trump who can come from out of nowhere, completely co-opt the entire party structure, have no discernible principles other than being a prick, you know, that's a sign that your party is dead. You might still win elections, but for purposes of being a governing entity with at least a nominally conservative political viewpoint, the party is dead. I don't know what's going to take its place. I don't know if it's ever going to get fixed. But mm-hmm. as long as Donald Trump is our commander in chief running the GOP, it's not where I'm going to be. Well, white rage is an infinitely renewable resource is my concern. <laughs> um, I, I worry. I mean, we could. so there's a part of me that just wants to hear you talk about how terrible Trump is, honestly. Like, I think that I have probably <laughs> listeners also who enjoy that. But the thing I really want to know, because I can coming back to it, is I I think that there are there are lots of people I know who are conservative or Republican who are not idiots, who are not mean people, um, but who have, you know, are in this gravitational well, right, of ideology, let's say. And they have I think Trump has bent reality, you know where once you kind of start to agree with him or sympathize him or say, well, I'm going to vote for him for the good of the party, like you wind up with this whole like string of beliefs that are further and further away from reality. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, um, you someone who is like, well, I, I know people who at very at the first were like, no, I don't like him. I, I'm, I, I supported another person in the primary, but I want you know, I'm, I hate Hillary. So I'm going to vote for him. And then and then over time, they've just become more and more pro-Trump. And I've saw, I've seen them kind of start to agree with some some of his weirder <laughs> tenants, you know, like, I mean, uh, this, you know, affection for Russia. Like, I'm sure you've seen the polling. Republicans God. used to hate Russia. Yeah. Right. And now just because Trump is the leader and he likes Russia, there's this whole swing about it. You know, WikiLeaks, all that stuff. Right. So. I hear you. Let me tell you, I'm just going to say, as someone who grew up as a Reagan baby in a military town during the Cold War, this whole notion of Russia can be trusted drives me fucking bonkers. 
Well, and also as a military person, you must also be infuriated by the way he talks about the military. Because when he, he has only two modes about it, right? Like it's either like my generals and we rock or we never win. Our military is depleted. Right. You know, um, take the oil, which any actual member of the armed services would just they make that that kind of talk should make their skin crawl. In fact, the whole my generals thing should probably bother them as well. Um, but but so so what I want to know and what I'm trying to figure out from talking to you is. Do you have any personal success in talking to friends and colleagues who are still Republicans, still consider themselves conservatives like when you explain to them like there are broken criminal justice system? Um, do, do do you get any purchase with them? Because I, I'm sure if Sessions scares me, he must, you know, like terrify <laughs> you and but your clients. Be a topic of an entire different podcast, right? Good Lord, we we could hold it, but there could yeah, probably. I mean, it it depends on the issue, you know, especially with things involving kind of the the racial equity of the justice system. I think a lot of younger Republicans who still want to be part of the party because they see us as having a two-party system and the Republicans are not the Democrats. You know, a lot of younger folks get it. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that that's ever going to improve, it's when they get old enough to take over the party. The challenge is whether or not they last in the party long enough to do that before they get sick of the bullshit and stop. You know, among the leadership the people that are more focused on the country still, like, you know, someone like Mitch McConnell, you might not like Mitch McConnell. You may think he's a typical politician, but he's at least willing to look at facts and data and try and figure out how to fix things within the bounds of politics. You know, what we, you know, a lot of people complain about politicians and cutting deals and whatever else, but those types of folks are the ones most equipped to change the system. Yeah, I mean, because if you look, for example, with this whole notion, um, criminal justice reform and prosecuting juveniles, you know, going at it as we need to just go ahead and stop prosecuting kids as adults, that works for some states. It doesn't work for others. You know, there are times where in order to piece the votes together, you got to be willing to trade, okay, we'll raise the age, but in exchange for that, We'll give you however many millions of dollars so you can go buy a new SWAT vehicle for your local police force. <laughs> you know, that just becomes uh, a necessary part of democracy. Well, and I appreciate that. And, and I, you know, I'm, you know, Mitch McConnell, again, we could do whole other podcasts on our the various cast of characters that are actually, you know, running government. Um, it's not Trump. It's more like Jeff Sessions and Mitch McConnell. Um, uh but I'm more curious about the more everyday relationships for you, because that's something that, you know, here at this podcast, that's one of one of the goals is like, how do we interact with these people we disagree with? And to some extent, right. not necessarily convince. I, I, it's not about convincing people. Right. I'm, I'm, I get I've given up on that. I've been in I've been in a mixed marriage with a conservative for too long. <laughs> <laughs> to try and think, to, to try and like make convincing people to agree with me the goal. But I do care about showing people like, like things like the, that the criminal justice system is headed in this, in, not just headed, that the criminal justice system has been a tool of oppression for black people in this country, right? 
And right. yeah, I mean, so on, as, as far as the personal relationships go, you know, it's something where I have to work hard to separate my political views from dealing with people personally. You know, it's always been like that. You do that, deal with that a lot as a lawyer. You know, mm-hmm. I've got a lot of friends that I'll go drinking with and we'll argue about politics. But at the end of the day, we're still friends. We still mm-hmm. go drink together. We agree on sometimes a lot of things, sometimes nothing at all. But we still will go play basketball together or ask each other how their family's doing. You know, that type of stuff, that, that civic interaction with people outside of political disagreement still happens and it should, you know, the challenge becomes how do you convince someone that something going on around them that they're oblivious to is actually an issue. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's really something that whether or not it's been effective at convincing people depends on the person and what type of things they're receptive to. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at, for example, in North Carolina, the Durham County Republican party is much different from the rest of the state. They're very, you know, woke to use the phrase when it Mm -hmm. comes to the justice system, because for some of them, it's a matter of money. You know, we spend a lot of money incarcerating people who haven't been convicted of a crime. If you look at the Durham County Jail, 72% of people in jail on any given night haven't been convicted of the offense they're currently jailed for. So does it make sense to have them in jail where if they have a job, they can't go to work. If they have a family, they can't take care of them and the public is picking up the bill, or does it make sense to slap an ankle monitor on them, have them out on pretrial release, and see what shakes out? You know, So for some people, the economic argument makes sense. For some folks, you, know, you have to talk to them about it in religious terms. The fact is, we're all created in God's image. We're all supposed to be equal before Him. You know, God's not going to pick and choose, okay, we got a certain number of black people going to heaven, a certain number of white people going to heaven. If the goal of faith is to live a certain lifestyle, you know, and part of that is we're all equal before a higher being. Well, we're all supposed to be equal before the government as well. And then you got folks that think like I do, where the most effective way is just giving them the data. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to have a list of just a bunch of different studies that I would send to people and they'd never read. But man, websites like, you know, Open Data Policing, uh, killedbypolice.net is another one where it's good data, it's good visuals, good information, links to more stuff if they want to research further. You know, that really changes people's minds if they're inclined to, you know, be swayed by analytical, analytical evidence. So it, it's just really a, it's one of those things where I don't set out to convince folks. I usually tell you what I think and see if you're going to agree or push back or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I can... If I get the idea that someone's persuadable, I try and figure out a way to persuade them. Yeah, because I think that that I mean, I got I want feel like I want to be careful about the language here because I I think you you put it correctly when you said convince someone something is an issue, right? Because that's the thing that I hopefully when you talk with someone whose ideology is different than yours, at least you can come to agree that there is a problem that needs to be solved, right? Like we can disagree right. about. The matters by which it might be solved, but you know the, what the solutions are. But that we can agree that the reality of the problem is is you know there. Um, and I do worry, though. Like I'm not kidding that I worry that that's not even possible these days to even agree on 
the existence of a problem. Because I feel like if you send, there's a, we've sort of gotten to this place where you send someone links to a data source and they're like, fake news. Right. <laughs> and people just believe what they want to believe. Yeah, I mean, it, that's true. But my counterpoint to that would be, there's always been people like that. Mm. The difference is now you actually get to read and hear about them on Twitter because everyone has an equal platform, you know, where they can go post a blog or they can go to their specific Facebook group and, you know, share things. You've always had people that are averse to facts, always. You know, even when I was yeah. a kid growing up, you know, we would have debates in our U.S. history class or our U.S. politics class. Um, you know, that was long before we even had the internet. I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but it gives you an idea. Um, and you would always have people that just didn't believe, you know, the moon landing is a good example. Conspiracy theorists insist that we never went to the moon, you know, JFK's assassination. They still don't know how that happened, supposedly, even though there's all of this data and evidence produced by people that more or less know what they're doing to show otherwise, you always have folks just refuse to believe it. You know, people like that, I'm not going to say they're unpersuadable because I always have hope, but a lot of them aren't persuadable. And it doesn't make sense to try and persuade them. The focus has got to be on people who have an open mind or at least a mind that's not totally closed to the possibility that their views can be challenged. Wait, I was just like, we just didn't used to have the conspiracy theorists at the very you know top of government. Like, that's the difference, right? Like. Those people it, it that seems used that to. Way. You know, I, I don't know what Nixon thought on some <laughs> ways, but Trump definitely seems to be a uh, a special breed when it comes to believing things yeah. that didn't actually happen. And like I said, I worry that he has sort of this weird gravitational pull that once you start down the path of 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 considering him your, you know, your leader of supporting him as your as as the person you think should be president, you wind up getting pulled into this whole constellation of of beliefs that have, you know, diverged pretty widely from what the facts are. Um, but I'm just like taking your very good point and then, and, 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 and bringing us all down. Um, because (laughs) I do think there, there are persuadable people out there, but. Yeah. The guy's unfit to be president and we've elected him, And now there are people that feel compelled to defend him because he's not the other guy. Yeah. And it just normalizes the idea of, of people, it, it normalizes <laughs> not um, embracing reality, if that makes sense. And I, I think that that is a bigger problem. I mean, that that presents a bigger and different problem than just some like 30 percent of the country is always going to believe that we didn't land on the moon, which is probably true. Right. Well, I, I still have hope. I'm not convinced that it's normalized anything yet, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it might very well still come to pass. But if you look at, for example, the election that just happened down in the uh, Georgia six. The fact that a Democrat candidate yeah. got 48 percent of the vote in a district that Hillary Clinton couldn't even carry, you know, that is a signal. You look mm-hmm. at the Kansas special election, the fact that it's a district, the GOP won by, what, 24 percent last time, and this time they only won by eight. You know, eight's still a pretty big margin in a gerrymandered district, but to have such a huge drop says to me that there's at least some pushback among the public, you know, love it or hate it. The one benefit of living in America is that for the most part, our government is able to function reasonably, not poorly without you being aware of it. So most Americans can go about their lives, focusing on their families, their jobs, their communities, 
without having to worry what dingbat in Congress is doing, whatever, you know. So for those folks, as nutty as Trump is, as terrible as he is, you know, what you have called his kind of his gravitational pull, they're not sucked into that because they're not connected mm-hmm. to politics like that. They're not rapidly refreshing their Twitter feed or checking Washington yeah. Post every morning or conservative treehouse or whatever ridiculous fake news site they want to look into. And I think ultimately a combination of people who are on the other side of the fence from him, you know, you're Democrats, you're progressives, people who are unaffiliated, conservative or liberal leaning, but just think that he's really not the class of person we need to have occupying the greatest political office we have. And then the people that just aren't that in tune to government because they've got higher priorities. I think those three groups are ultimately what are going to stop things from going completely off the rails. You know, they might not have a chance to do that until the midterm elections. And the thing is, okay, can we make sure that for the next 18 months we don't go into nuclear war somewhere? Yeah. But those groups of people are going to speak up. They're going to be talking to their neighbors. And I think ultimately what you're going to find is Trump's not going to have the unchecked influence that he's got right now. I am going to allow you to end on a positive note because I'm <laughs> I'm in a giving mood. Um, but I really appreciate you coming on the show. And, you know, we, we blew past some stuff. I was really, I, I mean, I'm curious, like I also know that um, you do oppose um, the North Carolina so-called bathroom bill, um, and I would love to hear more about, you know, how how your mind became open on those issues. Um, but uh, we are out of time. But maybe we'll have you back. Um, you can be our, our North Carolina correspondent. Um, what is your Twitter handle so that people can read these fabulous um, and informative rants of yours? Yep, it is Greg G R E G underscore. Doucette, D-O-U-C-E-T-T-E, Greg underscore Doucette. And you, of course, you are DurhamWeedLawyer.com. Yep, they can find me there, too. (laughs) All right, thank you so much for joining us. You're listening to With Friends Like These with Anna Marie Cox. These days, you can get practically anything on demand, like this podcast. You can listen whenever you want, when it's convenient for you. It's like Uber, but for podcasts, it's like Uber, but for everything. Um, There is Uber for everything. And Stamps.com is how you get stamps on demand. Why are you still going to the post office and dealing with their limited hours when you can get postage on demand with Stamps.com? Anything you can do at a post office, you can now do right from your desk with Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. And unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes. Uh, You don't have to actually deal with people, which, you know, can be a plus um, for those of us that aren't so into people. And you can get postage whenever you need it, 24-7. I don't always like leaving the house. um, And it is true that for a long time, like getting stamps was one of the few things that you could not do from the comfort of your own home. Like uh, you couldn't order them from the post office online. And uh, especially if you had a specific package to send, you couldn't do that online. Um, So for, you know, hermits like myself, that meant, um, you know, venturing out into the world. Stamps.com means that I don't have to venture into the world except when I really want to which, you know, happens sometimes. Uh, But you can use stamps.com right now and use my code FRIENDS for this special offer. It's a four-week trial and includes postage and a digital scale. 
Don't wait. Go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in friends. That's stamps.com, enter friends. And I'm aware of the irony that this is about not wanting to leave your home, but our code is friends. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again, except when you want to. So you're famous to listeners to the podcast. You know that, right? Well, if you say so, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're famous as- It's cool know, to hear. Yeah. Um, you know, my husband that used to be a Republican is now not so sure. That, oh, that's correct. Um, there's still some stuff we just- I wouldn't say I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm you're pretty, pretty sure, sure. I'm not. Yeah. I, well, I don't, I, I, I try to be careful to say, I don't want to misrepresent your beliefs. I don't want people to get over, I don't want people okay. to think you're like a social justice warrior now. Which, I appreciate which that. Which you're not. You're just not Republican. That's correct. Yeah. Still not Democrat though. Are you silent? <laughs> Are you thinking? Technic- technically not yet. Ah, I haven't registered. Interesting. Like we're going to have to keep this from, keep your parents from hearing this. Um, but there are still some things we disagree on. Correct. Of course. Okay. I asked you to think of a few. Okay. Um, first of all, I have two. Okay. All right. Oh. Number one, what constitutes a good sci-fi television show? That is that? something we disagree on. That is true. We definitely disagree there. Do you like any sci-fi television shows? Uh, you know what? That's a good point. I like a lot of movies. good sci-fi movies. Yeah. I'm not a big sci-fi TV uh, yeah. show fan. Yeah. Right. So I haven't found that. one yet. There's that. You still haven't really gotten into Battlestar Galactica, but- I have not, despite your numerous attempts. Right. And that now that does look like it has potential for okay. me. What was the other yeah. thing? Uh, the other thing is we disagree highly on the band Smashing Pumpkins <laughs> and the fact I have a firm belief that Gish is one of uh, the most uh, groundbreaking rock albums to come out of the 90s. I think it was 90s. Yeah, actually, it was the 91. 90s. It is embarrassing that you don't actually know that it was the 90s. No, it is isn't embarrassing. That, I had to think you, about it for your, a second. Your youth is showing. Late. No, 91. Your 91. Youth, I'm uh, fair. I don't know. I got You got to fact check me, but- uh, it, it's true. I'm not a Smashing Pumpkins fan. You are not a Smashing Pumpkins fan. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. So there's that. Yep. Okay. Well, but that's we, what I got. We we do dis- we do off actually- the top of my head. <laughs> we agree on something though, um, which is actually we got these cool sheets. We did. And you agreed right away. I thought you, since you are somewhat conservative, I didn't right. think that you would be up for this. But you agreed right away to get rid of the top sheet. Yes. Yeah. Just we're just going. Fitted sheet and duvet. That's and all duvet. we got. Hardcore. Yeah, yes. That's it. And we're using these these parachute sheets. Um, and I think our, I think we both love them. Oh, I I, I do. They're soft. Uh, they're lightweight, which is good for the spring and su- upcoming summer. Yeah. Although you wouldn't think that uh, we're in spring yet here in Minneapolis. It's like uh, yeah. I don't know. Fifty. Yeah. But they are very lightweight. But linen. anyway, lightweight. They're soft. They're great sheets. Yeah. Yep. We, we got the linen ones. Um, which I think are especially cool for, literally cool. They're like literally they like they cool. Um, and uh, they're from Parachute, like I said. Uh, they're designed in Venice Beach and responsibly manufactured in Europe. Uh, Parachute makes the softest, comfiest sheets you'll ever own. Parachute lasts and lasts. Their bedding is premium quality, so it only gets softer with time. The clean modern style has a natural color palette inspired by Parachute's Venice Beach headquarters. So... If you want to be like us and have cool parachute sheets, um, go to Parachute, 
parachutehome.com slash friends. Again, that's parachutehome.com slash friends for free shipping and returns with a 60-night trial. If you don't love it, just send it back. No questions asked. That's parachutehome.com slash friends for free shipping and returns and a 60-night trial. Thanks for the cameo, John. Thank you. Next up, a question from a listener. I will be joined by my MTV colleague, Jane Coaston, in just a minute. So, Marcus, welcome to the show. Uh, awesome. You, This show, as you know, this podcast, we are interested in the intersection of relationships and politics, right? Yeah. Um, as personally someone who is, I should probably not joke about saying mixed marriage, but um, uh, it is a mixed ideology marriage. And I'm interested mm-hmm. in the ways that like, you know, our political beliefs influence our relationships and our relationships influence our political beliefs. And you wrote in with a question that I think, you know, hits hits right at that. And so would you like to just let let us know, restate uh, what you wanted us to, to help you out with. All right. So basically my question was how dealing, how to deal and talk about race in like a dating, uh, in a dating context. And so not necessarily just talking about how to talk about race with someone you're dating, but even just like when someone says something like, Oh, I only date Asian guys or I don't date black women. It's like, for some reason, I think culturally we find that acceptable when like, to me, I still feel like that's literally very explicitly racist, but I don't know, for some reason, I think a lot of people find it not racist. And so like, I don't know, maybe I'm confused about if that's racist or not, or I guess it's like still a debate, but basically I was wondering how you deal with that situation. And I, when I read this question, I immediately thought of my friend, Jane Coaston. Jane, who is now on the line. Hello. Jane. I am on the yeah. line. I am here. And and Jane brings some expertise to this. Um, uh, I am a mixed race person who is in an yeah. interracial relationship. And mm-hmm. I have thought a great <laughs> deal about these issues. <laughs> I thought you were just going to say like, and I have thoughts. Um, I have, I do have thoughts. You, you do have thoughts. And I, I guess I would just pop in as like the white person here. Um, <laughs> that what I think is interesting about your question is that I, I do th- think that there, we are loath. White people are very, very reluctant to call each other racist. Right. Yeah. Like, we don't like doing that because it's like this incredibly loaded word. And I, th- I, mm. I really identify with you saying that we there's this one place where we where, we, where people seem totally unselfconscious about stating racial preferences. Right. And, it, and yeah. it's because I think a lot of people, especially against white people, look at that and say, well, that's a romantic relationship. Therefore, mm. it's not about race. It's something else. But of course. Race informs everything, yeah. right? And, and and so now I have said that what I think I can say, <laughs> my limited experience, and and I wanted to, you know, Jane, you said you had thoughts. Like, what 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 do you think are the, or what do you think's going on here? Well, I think something that's interesting is that a lot of times people, it's interesting to me how many times people say like, oh, I don't date black people. Or I don't like, oh, I don't date Asian women. And like, there's no follow-up. There's no like, because, because <laughs> the answer would obviously be something racist. Like, <laughs> the conclusion, yeah. 
the conclusion you have to draw is that there is something about all of one type of person that you are not into, which is just impossible. It's just, it's not possible. There are literally billions of different kinds of people out there. And some of them you probably don't want to date. Most of them you probably don't want to date, but some of them you might want to date. Right. You have no idea. But just to be like, oh, you know, I don't like, I've seen this online. Or, I mean, I think it's interesting, especially because you um, being, I'm, uh, you know, I'm half black, half white, and I'm, you know, kind of light skinned. And I've gotten some like really creepy tweets or creepy comments just being like, oh, I love light skinned girls. And I'm like, ha- all of them? Yeah. Some of us are assholes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And so it's like, what if, but is it like, but you know, when it comes to like dating, like, do you, don't you think there is like a line where like, I don't know, for me, like, I like dating dorky people. And it's like, at what point is it like, are you looking for traits that is it not okay? And I think race is definitely not okay to allow or disallow someone from your dating pool. But I I get it when people say they like, you know, it's like a sexual preference. And so like, I'm like, (laughs) uh, maybe you can't control it. But like, Sorry. I was, I was, I was born preferring white people. You can't change me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's why it gets blurred yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I yeah, think, and especially it's the one thing where people are like, "This is just something about myself. I can't change." And I'm like, "Look, there are many things about yourself that you can't change, and it's just a matter of like, especially because it, it really does come down to a com- a comprehension of." a member of a racial group being representative for all members of that racial group. Right. Yeah. There, there is literally no difference between Idris Elba, Barack Obama, (laughs) and (laughs) And I just personally, I would complete, I, uh, Idris Elba on my list. I believe he is a freebie for me. I think I've marked him out with my husband. Um, Yeah. He's pretty much an argument. Any, any, sexual human being who says they would not date Idris Elba like is lying like that yeah, he, like, he, he is proof that there is no such thing as preferring white people like that if yeah. you do not find yourself sexually aroused by Idris Elba then <laughs> I well also again like the same people who are like I you know like oh like I prefer white people I'm like I all white people. <laughs> like, Richard Spencer <laughs> really <laughs> like but, but then it, I'm just like, like then it, like, then again, I get people who are like, I mean, for me, like, it just happens to be that I live in California and I always end up with someone who's Latino. And it's like, I don't prefer Latinos. So I get like, if someone, if that's someone else's similar experience, and then they're saying like, oh, I date Latinos. And it's like, wait, is it like, just because of your situation? Because you live, if you, if you live in a white town, there's mostly white people, and you date a white person, you're like, oh, I date white people. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's not racist. That's just your circumstances. Right. So like, right. It would be like, if, you, like if, you live in, if you live in Canada, you might tend to date Canadians. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I want to point out that I do think that there maybe is, there are some kind of gray areas here. Like, mm-hmm. Like, I do think, like, so we do hear people say things like, I like, you know, there are ass and tits people, right? 
and yeah. there are legs people and there are people like we could desexualize a little bit like i like really high cheekbones you know i think those are really mm-hmm. cute and sexy but those are actually i think none of those things i mean though you know are racially segregated yeah yeah um and i also think that when we talk about people when you talk about you know i'm liking asses um you're not blocking off an entire subcategory right mm-hmm. like i mean yeah. you're saying also no one would say you would never i think discount people and it's also a question of like whether or not you would discount an entire category of people because they don't fit your preference right yeah right yeah because like if you meet someone and you are in they don't have the ass that you usually like, but you like them otherwise, yeah. you might go ahead and date them, right? Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't like yeah. stick to like, Which, no, only good asses. Only good asses I will date. <laughs> I mean, Which my- is like another situation where like, I think I get a lot because I'm mixed racial. And so people are like, oh, I've never dated a black guy before. Like I usually don't date black guys. And it's like, oh, that's like... <laughs> Do you think I want to date you now? You think, like, because I'm an exception to black people, like, I'm okay to date? And it's like, <laughs> right. I get low-key, like, angry. I'm just like, and I usually end up, like, ends up in a big fight. And I'm like, all right, well, no, this blew it, bro. like, gone. Yeah, and especially because I feel like people, being mixed race, people tend to treat you, like, kind of like, kind of like you're the, like, the training wheels to dating someone of another race. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. No, first that, they'll date you, right. and then they'll date, like, a real black person or something. You're like, no, what? No. It, it's not like you're, yeah. like, I'm like, it's not like you're like muted black person. Like, that's not what. <laughs> like you're saying. like, you're a black person on eleven, on on like five. Yeah. Like you know, yeah. whereas like Idris yeah. Elba is a black person on eleven. Let's face it, no, exactly. Like, yeah, but yeah, no, you're right, and also I think it's I I, I want to kind of get to sort of the practical purposes here because I think like Mark, that's one of the reasons Marcus you wrote right is that you yeah. wanted to like how do I apply this kind of to my life? I think that Jane and I are endorsing your suspicion that there's something racist about saying you prefer a particular race. In fact, when I say it that way, it seems kind of obvious. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> and then, and then you, you brought up the situation of like people saying to you, like, I don't normally date black people. And I, part of me, the, my first thought when you said that was like, wow, you have a really good kind of way to, to sift through potential partners then. Because yeah. like, as soon as someone says that, you can be like, okay, well, you're not someone <laughs> like you're not someone I necessarily yeah. have a relationship with. Um, exactly. But I mean, Jane, what, what's what's your sense about this? Like actually talking yeah. about this with people and, and, and being in the real world with it? Yeah, I think it's one of those things like these are d- difficult conversations to have because I think a lot of people think that their preferences or what they like have been formed in a vacuum, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, I, like, they literally think, like, I was born, and then I decided I never wanted to date white men, like, that's probably not exactly what happened, and I think <laughs> that that's challenging, because on the one hand, like, we can have conversations about it, but then when you get to the actual, like, when you go on a date with someone, or when you're in a situation where that comes up, that's a little different, that's going to be different, and so I mm-hmm. think the challenge is that these conversations are effective, when you talk about them while recognizing that the person 
who has said that they have this preference also probably has like, I think it's, it's worth remembering that like this person having like these ideas or this specific preference is in itself problematic, but does not make them and their identity problematic. Cause I think that that's challenging when you meet someone and you're like, they're like, Oh, yeah. by the way, like before you, I'd only dated Asian men or something like that. And you're like, what's the deal with that? But, I think that there's an opportunity. There's like there's an opportunity for growth, and also kind of an opportunity for you to be the person being like, oh, well, we also we both seem to really enjoy. I don't know the anime the anime series Cowboy Bebop or something like that. Like you've got stuff in common. You've got stuff going on. Asses. Also, you both. You know, I don't know. Like I just like saying yeah. that. But yeah. Um, I think that there's there's something worth remembering that like. I think one thing that's challenging is as, as Anna Marie, like in general, white people don't want to think that another white person is racist, but I also want mm. people to remember when I talk, when I'm thinking about race or racism, that like for a lot of people, this is going to sound kind of pat, but being a racist is not everything that they do or are. And so I think that, yeah. especially if this comes up in your dating relationships where someone tells you like, Oh, you know, before you, I'd only dated this one kind, this different kind of person. Like that's that doesn't have to be the end of the conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I, I was, I, I agree with Jane. I was mostly joking when I said that you have this really convenient <laughs> filter for people that you might date. I, I think it depends on the person, right? Like, yeah. if it's someone who every other thing about them seems to be cool or attractive. Um, and this, they say this thing that jars you. Um, I do think that's when it's helpful for, to remember, like there are racist thoughts and racist actions and racist systems, Yeah, but there are, there are, there are people who are not aware of being existing within those, right? Like Mm -hmm. they, they're, they're practicing racism in their lives, but they may not be aware of where that comes from or that they're doing it, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think like the fact that like, I mean, a lot of times when it does come to dating and it's like someone I'm actually dating, it's generally like they don't, it seems like, I mean, the fact that they're like, if I'm dating them, they're generally kind of more open-minded, but like they usually would say it and not understand the implications of what they're saying or like how it could be offensive. And so it's usually like a learning situation, but it's kind of different when it's someone like you're not dating or like, it's just a group of friends and you're just like, go. it's just a group (laughs) of friends and you're just like hanging out and you're like, Oh, I don't date Asian girls. And it's like, what? It's like, and then it's usually like this, like, and it's usually like, it depends on the group, but and people, but I think a lot of people just don't see it as racist right. or like as offensive. And usually, if you instead of getting heated about it, maybe like you just kind of slowly be like, "Hey, that's offensive to me." Like, kind yeah. of like, even if it's not your race, because I think generally it's like you're not going to have a group of white people, and then you're the only black guy there, and then they're going to be like, "Oh yeah, I don't date black people," and you're like, uh, <laughs> right. "They're not going to say that." They're going to say, "I don't date Asian people," and you're like. And so people might not be offended by that because just like, or at least maybe like someone might just be like, oh, that's fine. Like whatever. But yeah. So I guess like. I totally endorse the low key. Hey, 
that's kind of racist approach to <laughs> yeah. um, the and again, it's I mean, it's somewhat similar to the dating issue, because on the one hand, if this is like this person is n- not actually someone you want to hang out with, then the easy thing to do is just not, is they've proven that another reason for you not to hang out with them. But if, the, you know, again, in the context of a group of friends. And this person is like fairly open minded and has these other views that seem, you know, contiguous with yours that they say, I just, you know, I I only date X or I never date Y. I think that is an occasion where you or hopefully, you know, sometimes like we white people, we got to like police our own, um, like say, you know, hey, like, I don't know if you ever thought about that, but that's like a really overly broad generalization to make if you don't want to use the R word, you know? Right. Because um, it, do, it that does scare white people. Um, they will, they, are, yeah. they will shut their ears and run away screaming. So. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we have to be careful with their, be careful with our feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess like, I kind of, uh, I mean, my mom is white. And so generally it's kind of like, she's like the, experimental white person that I like try <laughs> on kind of thing and usually even with her she ends up blowing up because she doesn't see anything wrong like she's kind of like the type of person who's like oh. let's not talk about race mm. and I'm like mom that's racist to say that you don't want to date a black guy or like mm-hmm. and it, it is it comes off very harsh and she's very like sensitive to that too because she can't see herself as being racist especially when her children are like not uh, her race and so um oh wow yeah but like so i don't like yeah i think like that's great like saying like hey that's kind of racist but even like it's like it's such a sensitive like even Mm -hmm. saying like hey that's kind of racist is like so loaded but like saying like hey that kind of like hurts my feeling like that's kind of like a kid but yeah i think the overly broad generalization thing like i think you made a really broad generalization there dude Mm. pal um yeah 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 no that's that's yeah that's pretty awful, probably actually. pretty good and I, I i would personally and maybe jane disagrees but like i'd personally avoid the whole like you hurt my feelings part of it but i'm not a millennial yeah. so i i fuck your feelings is my you know <laughs> i'm gen x yeah so screw yeah. screw feelings um but that might work you know uh with a younger person i do think again like it's weird like you know we we white people just being called racist is our kryptonite. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't make us stop being racist, but being it really does hurt our feelings. So yeah, don't do that. No, um, no, it just depends on how and what the relationship is. But I do think that yeah. calling attention to generalizations is probably good. Um, and as far as like your mom goes, well, that's maybe we're going to have to do a whole nother call because um, <laughs> yeah. that's fascinating. Um, but before we let you go. I want to have Jane weigh in with any final thoughts on the matter. Um, I would say that this is obviously an extremely complicated, complex, and often painful subject um, because it is dealing with people and race, and those are two things that tend to go poorly. Um, I would say that giving people the benefit of the doubt is a good idea a lot of times, but if someone says something that makes you uncomfortable and there's already stuff about them that you don't like, you don't have to put up with it. Um, I would say that people, you know, people come into relationships and people come into interactions with their own weird things, especially ideas about what they want in a relationship 
that are less based on reality and more based on kind of like, well, this one time I saw this movie and it looked great that time. I think that, you know, allowing people to be people in both kind of the allowing people to surprise you and allowing people to occasionally be disappointing is really important. And those would be kind of my thoughts. Marcus, do you want to, you know, got any feedback for us before we let you go? Uh, I just want to say thank you. Like that, like, I'm glad you guys are like talking about it. Cause like no one, like any, like, I mean, even like racial podcasts, like no one really talks about like, like that type of situation. Cause it seems like not, it's not exclusive to white people. It's everyone, every race does it. And it like, I just want to, like I thank you guys. <laughs> of course. Well, anytime. And again, like maybe maybe we should have you on to talk about your your racist mom. Um, <laughs> yeah. That that seems like a whole set, whole other set of problems. Not that she's really racist. If you're listening, Marcus's mother, I'm sure um, <laughs> you're lovely and you've raised a lovely son. And um, yeah. I just want to thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Of right, course. Great. Thank you. And that is the show. Once again, thank you for sticking with it through the end. If you've made it this far, then I feel comfortable asking you to please go to iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcasts and please rate and review us. That is how people find out about the show. And again, if you made it this far, you must you must like it. Um, but you also might have some comments or some questions. Maybe you have a question like Marcus um, dealing with relationships and politics and it's something that you feel comfortable having people, you know, laugh with you, not at you, um, while you talk about it on the phone. Uh, you can email the show at withfriendslikepod at gmail.com. Again, that's withfriendslikepod at gmail.com. And you can also tweet at the show at crooked underscore friends. Again, that's at crooked underscore friends. And if you want to follow any of the folks that were on the show, I highly encourage you to, especially Greg, who is really a master at the Twitter rant. He is at Greg underscore Doucette and Doucette is spelled D-O-U-C-E-T-T-E. And then my pal, Jane Coaston. She is at CJane87. Again, that's at C, the letter C, Jane 87, which I bet that's when she was born. I am old. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work. Tasks are taking forever to complete and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers. 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One. Because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25. When booking with other vacation rental apps sounds like this. This place doesn't look like the pictures. Come on, the doors are on back. Ah, what the? 
Is there a door behind all those spiders? <laughs> it's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation. <sighs> Look at how many spiders there aren't. Where should we lie down for eight consecutive hours first? Relax. You booked a Verbo. 